that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, if you go on from Philippians 3.10 and get to verse 11 and 12, you'll, you'll see Paul looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. That, that opportunity to conquer the grave, the opportunity to, to go to heaven, that, that thing we look forward to out there. But in verse 10, he is clearly expressing a very current, a very present desire to experience Christ and the power of that resurrection today. I, I want to experience that resurrection today, Lord. Last week I made the comment that while the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the hope of heaven out there, we're grateful for that hope, aren't we? I mean, it's always good to have a good day coming, right? It's always good to have something looking forward to. But what, we, what I said last week is that the, the power of the resurrection is not just for out there, but that it has something for us today. It has a power. It has a wisdom to help us navigate today's challenges, today's issues. And that's what we're going to try to unwrap a little bit of in this series. Today, we're going to look at the power of the resurrection in our relationships. Next week, are you ready for this? In politics. Are you just a little curious how I'm going to combine the resurrection with politics? Hey, got to be here next week. It's a, quite a magic show. And then the week after that, we're going to look at our, our culture, how we apply the resurrection, the power of that life to walking through and living in our culture. But today, today we're going to look at our relationships. Are you, are you curious? Are you interested in the difference that the resurrection can make in your, in your relationships? Well, well, apparently the rest of the world is also curious if it's making any difference in your relationships. There's a survey done recently of unchurched Americans, and they were asked to finish the sentence. And the sentence said, I would be more interested in Christianity if I saw Christians, and then they filled in the blank. Well, there's a lot of things that could go in the blank, right? If I, if I saw Christians not be hypocrites, if I saw Christians actually obey, if I saw Christians be nicer, if I, I mean, there's all kinds of things, right? But the thing that was put there mo most often was this, if I saw Christians have better relationships. They're, they're looking at how you and I relate, and not just, as that was unwrapped, it's not just because we call ourselves Christians are all of our relationships better, because we can't control, absolutely control all relationships, can we? No, we're only one part of the equation. So it's also asking, do you and I have a better way to navigate the difficult relationships? And they're watching. Because, you know, you and I have run around saying, oh, we're, we're Christians. We have the answer. We have the way. Well, they're looking to see, does that way make any difference in your relationships? And there's no surprise there, is there? I mean, isn't that what everybody's looking for? I mean, whether you're in a high-rise in Manhattan or a farm in Kansas or the, the banks of the Amazon or the bush of Africa, it doesn't matter where you are, when you were born, what you're... Everybody wants to know something about how to have better relationships, how to navigate those difficult ones. So there's an exciting opportunity for us here, folks. I mean, here, here's a way to present the beauty and the power of Christ in our lives. By just letting people watch the way we relate. 
And so here, knowing that's what they're looking for, that they want to see Jesus, then here becomes our operating principle for relationships. An operating principle, that means that this is, this is what's going on in all relationships, from the good ones to the bad ones, intimate to stranger, you know, whatever kind of relation it is, this, this is how we start, this is how we move through it. We're trying to go as far as we can with the operating principle, not an exception, not an escape clause. Here's the operating principle, as Christ did for me. That, that becomes how I, well, what do I say to them? Well, they lied. Well, how do I respond to that? What should I do here? As Christ did for me. That's how we operate in every single relationship. Now, that kind of implies that I'm familiar with what Christ did for me, right? Maybe another way of looking at this is, how, what am I counting on Christ doing for me? And you just, you could just start making a list like that. What do I count on Jesus doing for me this week? Well, I count on him listening to me, don't you? As a matter of fact, think of when you stop listening to people. Think of when you're tired of listening to people. Do you know those are all things I count on Jesus? I, I count on Jesus listening to me when I make no sense. I count on li- Jesus to listen to me when I'm repeating myself. I count on Jesus listening to me when I'm annoying. I've never been annoying, but just hypothetically. I mean, you think, aren't you? Are you counting on Jesus listening to you no matter what that situation is? So you can just say listening. I I count on Jesus uh, forgiving, right? Don't we? I I count on him forgiving me whether I've asked for it or not. I, I count on him forgiving me whether I've changed or not. I, I certainly count on him for giving me whether I deserve it or not. See how what this, as Christ did for me, that's how we relate to others. So there's listening, there's forgiving. Boy, I count on Christ being there for me. Do you? I mean, I count on Jesus being there. I, I want him to be dependable. We well, see, anything we're counting on Christ for, anything we're wanting, then that becomes, I, I take that list, and I really do encourage you to try to make a list. I don't think it takes three, four, five minutes. Write, write it out. What am I counting on Christ for? You take that list, you carry it into your best relationship this week, you carry it into your worst relationship this week, and how does it guide you? I think you'll find it gives some real guidance to your life. So folks, this is how you and I are, are to live and to relate as Christ did for us. And this is not, not just a neat idea. You know, when I, I, I think of something Jesus said in this area, he told a story in Matthew 18. Uh, it was a parable. You know, a parable is not a true story. It's not, not something that happened. It's telling a story to make a point. And so Jesus tells this story in Matthew 18 of this king who forgives this guy his debts. And this guy owes the king like a gazillion dollars. You, some of y'all remember that story? Just owes him all the money in the world. Will you imagine being forgiven of that kind of debt? Man, you've got a new lease on life. It's like life is starting all over again for you. How happy, how, how exciting. He, he leaves the king's presence, forgiven all the debts, and he goes out onto the street and he sees this guy he knows who owes him 20 bucks. And he grabs him and shakes him by the throat and throws him in prison. Throws him into debtor's prison back in the day. Now, you know what? He had a right to do that. The guy owed him $20 and he hadn't paid him. He has a right to do that. And yet, guess what, every, guess what all the, the, the bystanders, all the witnesses in the story did? 
They went nuts. See, there was something wrong about that, right? There's just some, it doesn't make sense to be a recipient of so much and then turn around and be so stingy. That's a, that's a contradiction. So they went and told the king what happened, and the king went nuts. Had the guy tortured and thrown in jail forever. See, what we're getting ready to go through, folks, is not psychobabble. What we're getting ready to go through is not a, hey, here's some neat ways to live. Here's some things to try out in your relationships this week. No, you, you and I have a, a, a challenge and a call to represent Christ, to be Christ, to do what Christ would do in our relationships. And that means all of them. The good ones, the bad ones, the ones we relate with very literally, and all those things, we're to represent Christ. Now, what does that look like? What are we doing? What are we not doing if we're showing ourselves to be like Christ, giving to others what's been given to us? Well, we have a passage. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of passages in the Bible. A lot of the Bible is about relationships, how, how we relate. Well, I, I picked out one passage today that just kind of hits a, a spectrum of how we relate. Things we do, things we don't do. And I got that in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to use your Bible app or open up your Bible there. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. You'll find Ephesians kind of moving toward the end of your Bible there. Past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and then there's Ephesians. You get to... Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, you've gone, gone way too far. Turn back. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading verse 25. Okay, it says there. Therefore, now whenever there's a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Okay, and it's there to tell you that what is about to be said is based on what has just been said. And I'm not reading what has just been said. So after I tell you what is going to be said, I've got to somewhere go back and tell you what was said. You with me? All right. Verse 25. We haven't even gotten one word yet. Well, we have. Therefore. (laughs) Therefore, having put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not. There's there's no situation where this is going to work. There's no situation where this is okay. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil, because that's what happens every second you stay longer in anger. Let the thief steal, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk, not, not a word, there's not a situation, there's not a person, let not one single corrupting word come out of your mouths, but only such as a word that builds up, that fits the occasion, that it may give grace. Not fear, not insecurity, not shame, but give grace to those who hear. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger along with uh, uh, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. 
Okay, so that's what we just read, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Now, what did we say? What we just read is based on what was already said. And I didn't read verses 17 to 24, but if you have your Bible open, look down at verses 17 to 24. I'm not going to read them, but we need to know what was said in there. And what was said in verses 17 to 24 is that you have been resurrected. Not, not going to be, not one day after your death or when Jesus returns, but right now, you and I have a new life. We have a new life in Jesus Christ because He conquered sin, because He conquered the grave. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, it says that currently, outside of Christ, without Christ, you and I are dead in our sins. In our sins, we are dead in our relationship with God. We're not connected to God. That's why Jesus said we need to be born again. Physically, we're alive, but spiritually, we are dead. But when we trust in Christ, we're resurrected. And we now have a new life in Jesus. We have a new way of living life. And guess where that new life and that new way of living shows up? Entirely in our relationships. Do you know where we go and live the new life? Do you know where we go and live this new way? With the people we love the most and the people we don't know at all and everything in between. Oh my gosh, what does that look like? Verses 25 to 32. Verses 25 to 32 is kind of a sampling of how we would live in this new way. How we would live in this new life. And boy, there's a lot there, isn't there? There's a lot happening there. But this, these are things that we would do because we hope in Christ. Because we have a new life in Christ. You know what we're going to do? We're not going to lie to one another. Right? We're not going to tell each other lies. That, that doesn't need a lot of commentary to say, hey, I believe Jesus rose again. He is the truth. He is my truth. And I'm going to be a person of truth. I'm not going to lie. But you know what? Let's back up one step before a lie. I want to give you something to make every one of your relationships better. Wherever it is on the spectrum. And in saying this, I'm not implying that you're the problem. I'm not implying, boy, if we could fix you, every relationship would... No, I'm saying for every single one of us, something we can do to improve every relationship in our life. Don't ever do anything that you have to lie about. Let, let, let's back up before the lie. Let's not do anything that we have to lie about, that we have to cover up, that we have to deceive, that we have to pretend like didn't happen. You know, here's, a, here's kind of an interesting thing. I bet is true for every one of us in here. I'm pretty sure it's true for me. I've gotten away with a lot more lies than I've gotten caught in. How about y'all? Yeah, we get away with it. We get away with it a lot. As a matter of fact, you know what? Sometimes we don't even have to tell a lie. We just get away with it. I don't ever have to defend. I don't ever have to explain. I don't ever, ever have to put a, a twist on it. I just got away with it. Folks, getting away with something doesn't mean we're not damaging the relationship. It, it, it builds an environment when we're building lies into the relationship. When we're building things we have to cover up. Even when we get away with it. It's still building Things that tear down. Things that hurt. That's not what we do. Man, I'm, I'm counting on Christ. I'm, I'm counting on His resurrection. I, I'm counting on Him being truth for me. I'm counting on being able to trust everything He has said and everything He has done. So I'm going to give to others what's been given to me. Somebody that I can trust. 
Don't do anything that you have to lie about. Number two, look at this one. We move to resolve anger. What's the word? Let's all say it together. Quickly. Okay, now that's half of us. Let's bring in the rest. We resolve to anger, resolve anger quickly. You know what I find interesting about this passage? Is it doesn't address whether my anger is right or wrong. Now, honestly, I always think my anger's right. I've never been wrong in my anger. You know, and I'm guessing that's pretty much how you operate too. I mean, if you slow me down and say, no, no, really, honestly, you've never, oh, yeah, probably. But that's not how I'm living in the moment. I always think my, my anger is right. But we all know the truth is we've got justified anger. We've got unjustified anger. We've got anger we've handled well. We've got anger that we've handled poorly. This passage doesn't even address that. It, it doesn't even address why you're angry. It doesn't address who's at fault. It just says, once you get there, you're now in the emotion of anger. Boom, there you are. Get out quickly. That's, that's the directive God gives there. Get out quickly. The clock is ticking and you have, are you ready for this? Hours. If you have your own Bible there, wrote, I've got hours. Write that, hours. Do you know why that word hours is so, I mean, what it says is don't let the sun go down on your anger. Boy, we get all caught up in that, don't we? And and you hear people talking about this, well, we don't go to bed without resolving our, it didn't say don't go to bed. It said don't let the sun go down. I don't know how many of you go to bed at six o'clock. It didn't say anything about going to bed. It said when the sun goes down. Let's not get caught up on, on the whole sun thing. What, what is God, when he, when he says the sun, what are we referring to now a day, right? He's saying, hey, listen, when the emotion of anger hits, the clock is ticking. You've got hours to get this resolved. Because every moment beyond hours, you're moving toward what Satan wants to do in and through that and away from what God wants to do in and through that. Period. Don't, don't explain your situation. Don't explain why you're... Period. I mean, literally the scripture saying, don't trust yourself with anger. You're being right about it. I don't have anything to do with it at all. You and I are not safe with the tool of anger. Don't trust ourselves. You've got hours. And I find that so incredibly interesting because all across this room, watching us now through the live stream, are people who've been carrying anger, not for hours, not for days, not for months, for years, right? All across this room, you've carried it for years. A person, a situation, a, a job, a church. I don't mean every single day you wake up just seething and spit foaming out of your mouth. But, but, but if the memory pops up, if the name is called, if something brings that situation back in front of you, boom, the anger hits and it was like it was yesterday. You can live in that anger as if it always just happened. God said, I don't want you living there for hours. And how many of us have chosen to live there for years? And it's so destructive to every relationship we have. It's so destructive to our ability to raise. Listen, my hope, our hope, is in the resurrection, right? It's in Jesus coming back. My hope is not in the anger that I hold over you. In the revenge that I hope, that's, that's not my hope. That's not our hope. Our hope, our hope is in Jesus. So we move to resolve anger quickly because somebody out there in the world might be watching to see how we handle this. And if we handle it like people without Christ, then I don't need Christ, do I? I, I, can, I can act like that without Jesus. 
We, remo- we move to resolve anger quickly. Look at number three here. We respect others' times, thoughts, and things. And we can put a little parenthesis out here. No, I don't. <laughs> but that's the idea. I mean, isn't stealing ultimately about respect? I steal from you because I don't respect you. I don't respect you. I don't respect the work you put into that. I don't respect what you did to get that. I don't respect your thoughts, your ideas, what, what you did. I'll take it as my I don't respect your time. I'll waste your time, abuse your time. I, I, I don't respect you so I can take from you. I can steal. Now, I'm guessing a lot of us will look at this and think this isn't like a really big issue. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming here we don't have a massive temptation to rob a bank this week. There are police officers here. You really want to agree with me on that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, not a huge temptation to rob a bank. But you know what else we don't rob? We don't rob the job, right? We don't put in a solid, hardworking 27 hours and collect a paycheck for 40. Because that would be stealing, wouldn't it? Well, it's not, it's not stealing. They, they, they get what they deserve. <laughs> you, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, I think really in America today, the issue... We're not stealing to put food on the table. We're stealing because it's mine. See, I've got a right, and you owe me. That man, that's just kind of the American mantra. I have a right. And I'm not talking about constitutional rights right now. This isn't a statement about the Constitution of the United States. I am saying that if you're born and bred in America, you kind of live with this constant mentality. I have a right. I have a right. I have a right. I have a right to happiness. I have a right for you to serve me. I have a right for my lawnmower to work when I pull the string the first time. I have a right. I have a right. I have a right. And guess what? When you live in this world, your rights are going to be trampled on, aren't they? And so pretty soon I'm going to move from having a right to being angry because nothing's working like it should. And now, now you owe me. You owe me, the job owes me, the church owes me, God owes me, everybody owes me. And since everybody owes me, then for me to take it is not really stealing, it's mine. I can take whatever I want from you. Man, folks, our hope is not in what we're owed. Our our hope is not in somebody else's stuff. Hope is in the resurrection, right? I mean, if that's true, if it's not true, then yeah, suppose you've got a lot of hope in somebody else's stuff. But this is the idea. I'm my hope, my focus is Christ is alive. He's alive for me. I'm alive and I'm going to live forever. That's my hope. Because if that's not my hope, then yeah, I can probably get distracted by every little trinket out there and what somebody owes me. Number four, we only speak to build and encourage. Verse 29 there says, "Let, let no... Corrupting word, not, not even a single one. Man, folks, there, there's not ever to be a time where you and I are using words to tear down, to embitter, to anger, to, to make insecure. Now, we, we all do this, and you know why we do it? Because it's the truth. It's the truth, and it needs to be said. This said no corrupt. It didn't say as long as it's true, as long as you know it really needs to be said, as long as they have it coming. No, you know why? Do you know why no corrupting word is to come from our mouths? Because you and I are so utterly dependent on words that build life, right? 
Do, are, do not you and I look to heaven and are so incredibly dependent on words of love and words of acceptance and words of forgiveness? And God has spoken those words. He has spoken words of love and life and forgiveness. And because of that, I have worth. He has built in me a new life, a life that will last forever. You know what he built in me? He built in me something so that when I do die and go to heaven, I will stand right next to Jesus Christ like we were equal brothers to get our inheritance. Figure that miracle out. That's what God built in me. And I was wholly dependent on his words. I cling to those words that build that into my life. So what a contradiction. What a contradiction for somebody who was so utterly dependent on words that build that I would then turn and speak words that tear down. It doesn't matter if it's the truth. It doesn't matter if they... Hey, wouldn't it be the truth if some of the angels got together and went to Jesus and said, Do you know what he's really like? Have you really thought about that little gem down there you call Randy Hahn? I mean, could not the angels go and tell the truth on us? Would we not have it coming? Absolutely. And I'm so totally dependent on Christ not letting it happen. How can I turn and contradict that? By tearing down with my words. My hope is not how my words can conquer somebody. And tear down a situation. My hope is not that I can get all of you to not like all of them. Because of how bad. That's not our hope. That's not what we live for. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the resurrection. Number five. Boy this is one I don't think. I don't think we think. I don't know how many of you read verse 30. And thought I've never really thought of that. Never heard. I imagine a lot of you in here. But I, I know that verse. How often do we think about, we care about how we leave the Spirit. You know, I'm guessing a lot of us, we've had a a place and a time where we walked out of a room and what we left in the room was tears, right? What we left in the room was insecurity. What we left in the room is anger. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you, I'm absolutely okay with it. I'm absolutely okay that I left that room in tears, that I left that room in anger, that I left that room because they had it coming. Okay, so they had it coming. But what about the Holy Spirit? Did he have it coming? Say, what are you talking about? I didn't leave the Holy Spirit in there in tears. The Holy Spirit lives right here. This is the house. 1 Corinthians 3.16. This is the house of the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you came to faith in Christ and he became your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit came and lives in you and he's going to live there until the day of redemption. He is going to live there Until he ushers you up to the presence of the Father and presents you holy and blameless and pure. Think through that miracle for your life. That's how the Holy Spirit's going to present you. And he is stuck, stuck living in you until that day gets here. And so here he is living in this house that I have decorated with lies. You ever been been sad that you were stuck somewhere? Stuck in a, in a relationship, in a, in, a, in a job, you were stuck in a situation, maybe a physical, stuck in a house. It just made you sad to be there. It was uncomfortable, it was unpleasant, it, it was almost painful. 
Well, how might the Holy Spirit feel living in here when I, I decorate the house with lies and there's just kind of an, an ambiance of anger and, and the house is decorated with stuff I've stolen and he's in there, he's in the house while this, these words just come out where I just so naturally and easily can tear down another person, hurt another person, get other person to not like that person. It just flows out of me and he is stuck in there. And it says, it literally makes him sad. We don't think about that with God, do we? We kind of, it's just easier for us to think of about him, kind of cold and unemotional. No, it, what, what do you do when you grieve? Man, you're downcast, you're hurt. Maybe you even cry. He's in here living. He's in here living to empower us to relate in a way that the world literally says, look how beautiful Christ is. I want that. And, and we relate like Satan. And it grieves him and he's stuck living there. Folks, not every relationship that we walk out the door is it just an issue of them. It's also an issue of the Holy Spirit. We need to think about relating in a way that we think about how we're leaving Him. Number six, bitterness is no longer our fuel. Verse 31 there, it's got a whole bunch of bitterness, clamor, anger. You know, there's, a, 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 there's been a saying in America for a long time, sex sells, Right? Anything you want to sell, make it sexy. <laughs> I'm not sure that... No, sex does still sell. I'm confident of that. I think it's dropped to the number two spot, though. I think the most powerful, influential thing that sells in America is anger. And, and here, here's my proof for it. I'm not sure if it's definitive, but here, here's my proof for that. News. You think the goal of news is for you to be informed? By the way, it doesn't matter what news you... I mean, I, the news channel I watch is because it's the truth. Yeah, right. Their goal is not first and foremost to inform you. Their goal is first and foremost not to hold the government in check. Their goal first and foremost is to sell commercials. Because that pays the bills. And to sell commercials, they have to keep you watching. And they have found that the most powerful thing to keep you watching is your anger. And so they can present a story, and it doesn't matter what side of the story you're on, when you're done watching it, you'll be angry. Oh, and oh yeah, the, the news, you know, there's conservative news and liberal news and cable news. Listen, they all know who, they know who their audience is, and they present to you the truth that will keep you embittered and angry because they got to fill up 24 hours with commercials. They got to keep you tuning in. And I'm not even sure sex anymore drives us like our anger does. Our hope is not our anger. Our hope is in peace and in justice. It's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our opportunity to be resurrected with Him. Lastly, we give to others what Christ has given to us, kindness, tenderness, and, and forgiveness. You know, obviously, folks, there's a lot there. there. You know what? Every single one of these seven things, and this is the last one, every single one of these could have been a message, couldn't it? 
I mean, I'm spending three, four minutes. Every one of these, there's so much. To, what does he mean by kindness, tenderness, forgiveness? What do we get from Christ when we give the, receive those things? What are we giving to others? But you know, one thing I find is interesting here is, again, nothing is addressed about whether the other person deserves it. It doesn't say, you know, give them kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness if they deserve it. Give them kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness if they're going to give that back to you. Give them kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness if they're going to change. It it doesn't say that. You know why? Because when Christ decided whether he was going to give us those things, he didn't measure whether we deserved it. Otherwise, we'd all be in trouble, right? He didn't measure if we were going to respond in kind and and bless him with kindness and tenderness. He, he He didn't measure that. And you ever really think Jesus is up there thinking, boy, I get so much out of out of being in a relationship with Randy Hahn. I just think Randy's ahead of the game right now. I'm not sure I'm giving him as much as he's giving me. That's never been the case. Never once. Never once have I been ahead. And yet he continues to give, doesn't he? In fact, I'm totally dependent on him giving that kindness, that tenderness and forgiveness. So as Christ did for me, I carry that out and do that for others. So you take this list, you take these seven things, you jot them out kind of, you know, in your own idea, in your own way. Maybe you put with them that list of things that you determine, you, you know you're counting on. And, and this week you carry that into your best relationship. And they, what does that look like here? You carry it into your worst relationship. And, and what does that look like here? And remember, folks, this isn't a neat idea. Come on, guys, let's try hard. It's a a total contradiction of life for us not to do this. Because we've all said our hope is in the resurrection, which means we hope that there's a God. We hope that he's listening. We hope that he's kind, tender, and forgiving. I'm totally counting on him being those things. So I can't go out and divvy out other things to other people. I give what has been given to me. And, And my guess is today, this morning, in this room... A whole lot of us would look at these things and think, yeah, yeah, I know, that is, that's right. I, I need to be those things. I need to do those things. I want to be those things. I want to do those things. And we'll think about what that might look like in a whole lot of our relationships. But my guess is there is a relationship that we have dismissed from discussion. Yeah, I need to be and do all these things and all these, ri- but not, 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 not that one. Because that one's too severe. That, 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 that one is, is, is too far gone. See, that, that, that won't fit in that situation. Folks, the goal's not the situation. The goal is the opportunity to be like Christ. The goal is to give as Christ has given to us, to do what Christ has done for us. Now, if you really think through that idea, you think through any part of this message, I mean, surely somebody in here you're thinking about, I mean, let's be honest, when we go through these ideas, we're not actually thinking about our best relationship, are we? No, we're thinking about the one we absolutely do not want to be and do these things in. And and as you listen to these things and we begin to unwrap, it doesn't take much unwrapping before you realize, you know, if I really did that, I could really be taken advantage of worse in that relationship. Man, if I was to do that, I mean, Lord, seriously, you're kidding, right? 
Surely you know that in that situation, it, I, it would be much worse if I were to do that. So what is this? So because I believe in the resurrection, because I believe in Jesus, I'm now signing up to take a beating every day? Yes and no. Yes. I, I think we need to absorb and need to kind of process that there is a yes. in the, the goal is to be like Jesus, right? Okay, well, let's may have never put it together like this, but folks, when Jesus was being like Jesus, what did we do to him? Yeah, we crucified him pretty, pretty horribly. Didn't work out so well for Jesus to be like Jesus. So are we anticipating the world's going to respond a whole lot better when you and I are seeking to be like Jesus? If you are trying, trying to be like God in this world, it is going to cost. We actually, I think we do need to absorb that idea that if I'm living for him and, and in every relationship, it's how far can I go? Not what is the exception, not where is the exit ramp. Our constant thought is how far can I go in being and doing for them in what Christ has done for me. And it will cost. As a matter of fact, let me quick quick illustration of this. 1 Corinthians 6 7. To have lawsuits. And this is about a lawsuit between two Christians. Paul's addressing the church in Corinth. He knows there's this is not hypothetical. There's actually a real situation where these two believers are suing. As you're thinking about that, they in you know, in Christ, in the church, they could not come to a resolution. They could not come to an answer. So what they do? They had to go out to the world and get the world to help them fix their problems. To which he then says. That's all you've already lost. There's already a massive defeat going on here. And look at this statement. Why not rather suffer wrong? I mean, folks, I'm not showing in this verse to talk about lawsuits this morning. I'm showing you that there is absolutely a very real idea in the New Testament that as you and I seek to live for Christ, proclaim Christ, show a picture of Christ in our relationships, yeah, I, I, I expect you to pay whatever cost is there in doing that. It, it will be uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for me too. They spit on me, they rejected me, they abused me and beat me and ultimately they killed me. So yes, I I do think we need to absorb the idea that it can cost to be like Jesus in our relationships. Now, does that mean then, again, we just go out there and take a beating for Jesus? No, not necessarily. Love and forgiving has a purpose. And it's not to enable sin to continue, right? See, I think we have turned, in America, we've made love tolerance. You accept everything, everybody gets away with everything, absolutely nothing is wrong. And so we call that love. No, not necessarily. Love will say, hey, that's wrong. Love will draw some lines. I think one of the most powerful stories of love in the New Testament, you remember in John chapter 8, where, where they bring before Jesus the woman caught in adultery. I mean, here she is. She she is wrong. She's been caught in the wrong. She's thrown in the dirt before Jesus. The crowd is there ready to stone her. Everybody hates her. Everybody thinks she's bad. And what does Jesus do? And remember, whose rule is it that she broke? It's not their rule. It's his rule. Jesus is the one who said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he reaches down. And he picks her up. 
And he says, I don't condemn you. I love you. I forgive you. And, and folks, when you and I in the same way have been picked up and loved and forgiven and not condemned, that's what we're to carry into our relationships because that's what's been done for us. What a, what a picture of love and tolerance and acceptance. But do you remember how the story ends? Jesus says, don't ever do this again. That, that part really is left off the story because the loving part, the accepting, that feels really good. That sells. But Jesus did end the story by saying, don't, don't ever come down this road ever again in your life. You see, love does draw a line. Love does say, no, that's not okay. Listen, love celebrates what is right, not enables what is wrong. And so there are places and times in our relationships where we need to say no, where we need to draw lines. It is incredibly difficult because our own selfishness is wrapped up in that. Our own self-defense is wrapped up in that. It is not natural for you and I to be thinking about all we have received from Christ and how we carry that into our relationships. It's not natural to do that. So it gets real tricky to have that wisdom to know when to draw lines and know when to say no. You know what we need a lot in that? moment I might sound like I'm being a little overly gratuitous with our with our theme today but folks in that moment I need godly people in my lives and that means I'm already connected to them right I don't know when that moment comes I don't know when I need that help but I've either built these kinds of relationships in my life or I haven't I need friends who will come alongside me and pray with me and and give counsel and and help me with scripture and it's amazing how often we as Christians don't do that for each other because we're overwhelmed by this idea that love never says anything is wrong. And so we can have, we can have conversations all across churches in America today where I walk in up to a, a Christian friend and say, oh, my wife doesn't love me. She doesn't ever meet my needs. She's mean. But there's this lady at work and she, I tell you, she really... She seems like she always listens. She's always nice, always cares. I really feel like that's what, I really feel like God's given me this new chance for love. And a Christian friend will say, yeah, you know, you've got to follow your heart. <laughs> Folks, I don't need a friend that will tell me to follow my heart. I do that already. I, I have no problem following my heart. I need a friend that would say, Whoa, Simba. Let's, 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 you know what? Let's just stop and pray. Let, let's just see if we can kind of get ourselves in the presence of God and maybe dial in on some of his wisdom. Hey, let's look and maybe get some help from scripture here. Hey, this is a little above my pay grade. Why don't we go get another friend and, 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 and get his input, her input on the, isn't that what we need? Yeah, man, folks, we're going to hit some places where we maybe have to make some real difficult decisions. And sometimes it's right up on the edge. It's, am I still doing what I count on God to do for me? Boy, I need some Christian help. I need some Christian friends in that moment. So we take this whole list. Things I'm counting on Christ to do. The things scripture has described. Whether I, it made my list of things I'm counting on Christ to do. It, we, we look at a list here. And we carry these into our best relationship. Our worship. So what's our opportunity? Our opportunity is to present Christ. 
our opportunity to show the beauty of who he is because of all we have received in him. And we want to show the world. And we do that in and through our relationships. So we've got the what, we've got the why, but the power. Where does the power come to do that? You know, I've got kind of a, a strange illustration here. I'm, I've struggled with it all week. I'm not, it's a little bit of a bizarre illustration. I'm not sure if it works or not. <laughs> there is a very powerful group of people in the world today. We, we refer to them as ISIS. You know what I'm talking about? They're very powerful. They're, pow- they're powerful just in this. Think of how small they are. There's 7 billion people on the planet. They're, they're a fly on the wall. And yet they have the nations of the world at their knees. The great United States is just ISIS. How do we handle ISIS? We're bigger. We're stronger. We have more resources. How can ISIS be so powerful? I would suggest it's because of this. They have nothing to lose. It is hard to negotiate. It's hard to threaten Somebody that has nothing to lose. What are we going to do? Blow up their mud hut? They'll build another one. They live simply. They have all the, the resources of, of oil and heroin. And they're totally willing to die. It's very difficult to stop somebody that's willing to die. Simple and ready to die. Is a really strong recipe for power. And their power is totally inspired by lies. Their power is totally inspired by Satan. And here you and I have power that's inspired by truth. Do we not also have nothing to lose? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, I have been forgiven by God. Of all my sins, past, present, and future. I don't have to live a single day in fear that somebody is going to tell God on me. Let God really know what I'm like. I have his love. I have his acceptance. There will be a day that I stand next to Christ and receive my inheritance. I might go through some difficult days before that day. But once that day gets here, that's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And this just becomes a blip on the screen. I've got nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. Now that doesn't mean I like being lied about. That doesn't mean I like somebody rejecting me. I, (laughs) I can do that too. But I think the idea here, folks, is is when somebody takes their worst shot at us, all they're really stealing is from the overflow of my cup. My cup is not full by your acceptance or your rejection. My cup is full in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing I have to lose. Everything I have is in Christ. And so with power, I can move into my relationships to conquer and make them all serve me and get the relationships I want. No, with power, I can move into my relationships to be kind and tender and forgiving. And if you take advantage of that, I lose nothing. That's power. How will you carry that into your best relationship? This week, what's something this week in your best relationship? 
What about the worst one? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, truly, honestly, it's overwhelming to think about all that you've done in relating to us. And while it can be difficult and while it can be challenging, what an opportunity to express what you've done for us, what that means in our life as we then turn around and give that to others. God, would you show us this week something very specific we can do? I pray every one of us carries this idea as Christ did for me into our best relationship and God, show us how we carry that into one that's a lot more difficult. And may Jesus be seen. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.